Why do you think socialites will enjoy today's episode? When you hear this case, you're gonna think it's a B-rate Hollywood script, but in fact, it's real. It's the real Miami Vice. Welcome to Socialite Crime Club. We're going to start 1999 with a lovely young female, Jenny. She is a 23-year-old marketing specialist in New Jersey, just carving her way through life, doing her marketing. She's a Colombian-American, has deep roots in Colombia, very much into that Colombian culture. And she's going to meet a very well-to-do Cuban-American. Oh, dear. A supermarket mogul. Okay. We have cultures clashing now. There is a little bit of culture. Yeah, you picked Latin that up fast. Latin culture is clashing. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, this mogul, he is the co-owner of a supermarket chain at the time. He's in New Jersey. He's 45. Remember, Jenny is 23. So he's 22 years her elder. But mm. Jenny and Manny just kind of hit it off. They sink and they start dating for a little while. Things look like they're going pretty good. Okay. And then Jenny just doesn't feel right. And she kind of shuts Manny down and she breaks up with him and moves on. Poor Manny. After that, Jenny meets another guy, younger guy, who convinces her to move to Miami, Florida. And she does. And she moves down to Miami and she's living with this new boyfriend. And this new boyfriend has a friend by the name of Camilio. Hmm. Okay. Her and Camilio become pretty close. So just to make sure you're tracking, Jenny has a boyfriend she's living with in Miami. Okay. Boyfriend's best friend is Camilio. Jenny and Camilio create this friendship. It's totally upfront. No shady stuff at this point. They're just friends. Okay. Her relationship is very rocky though with this boyfriend. It's just not working out. And as she starts to distance herself from this boyfriend, her and Camilio become very close. Not sexually, just he's kind of a confidence. Somebody she can explain all of her concerns to. Okay. He's like a mentor. Yeah, kind of like a mentor, confidant that she can divulge, you know, her secrets to, if you will. Ultimately, it's not going to work out with the boyfriend. And she's going to break up with this boyfriend and she moves back to New Jersey. Okay. So now she's back in New Jersey. She picks up her marketing job. So she's marketing again. And lo and behold, she meets up with Manny again. Oh. So he's got this big supermarket chain. She's in a marketing. And he has supermarket chains in New Jersey? New Jersey. Okay. So he's living in New Jersey at the time, and they reconnect through this marketing program that she's running for his supermarket chains. So there's kind of this little synergy, if you will, between their professional careers. Okay. And they kind of pick up dating where they left off. They actually really hit it off this time. And Manny is just madly in love with Jenny. Like, he adores her. Okay. Okay. So just really, really into Jenny. However, Jenny's got a few issues with Manny, and it Mm. kind of goes the same way it did the first time they were dating, where Jenny stops things and is like, hey, Manny. Manny has some baggage, it sounds like. You got to get your shit together, Manny, if you want to be with me. So she kind of draws a line in the sand and says, hey, Manny, fix your shit. As she should. Yeah. So Manny went and got a divorce. (laughs) (laughs) So she told him, if you want to be with me, 
you have to you have to get a divorce first because me, you, and your wife doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, Manny's been married this whole time. There is no you, me, and her. Yeah, Jenny basically doesn't want to be the side chick. And how long had they been dating? Off prior? and on for two years. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, but when Jenny draws the line and is like, Manny, no, if you want to be with me, get a divorce. He takes this very seriously. Now he has kids with his current wife. How many children does he have? I believe with his he has current two. Wife? Don't quote me on that, but I believe he has two. So for him to say, you know what? I love this woman enough. I'm getting a divorce. I'm sacrificing my marriage. So it was probably an unhappy marriage. It sounds like. I'm sure there was some issues because Manny jumped pretty quick. Right. So after Jenny draws this line, Couple months go by, and then Manny shows up at her door with divorce papers and a diamond ring. Oh, and they elope? No, uh, they continue to date for a while, but it's Manny's sign that he's serious, if you will. Okay. Manny is also expanding his supermarket chain into Florida, and it's actually doing really well in Florida. So the supermarket chain really caters to the Latin. Uh, Hispanic mm -hmm. market, if you will. Yeah, there's lots of those chains, especially in the Southwest. What was the name of the supermarket chain? El Presidente or the Presidente Markets. Oh, okay. And he's doing much better in South Florida than he is in New Jersey. So they move operations down there. They move back to Miami. So Jenny's going back to Miami. Uh, but this time she's going with Manny. And in 2004, they end up getting married. Now, I need to frame a little bit about Presidente Supermarkets. I okay. actually found a market report, and this is like 2010. They did $700 million in business. How many chains did he have? Several. Oh, dozens and dozens. It was the fastest growing Latin slash Hispanic market in the country. And they're all in Miami. Southern. Southern Florida. Southern Florida. Some of them were up in New Jersey, but most of them are in Southern Florida. Okay. But $700 million in revenue is no joke. No, it's Like, that's not. almost a, a billion-dollar business. Wow. So okay. Manny is doing really well. Yeah, he's and, knocking out of the park. Yeah, it's important to frame this. Manny's got money. He's got a lot of money. He's also a businessman, though. He's very busy. You can imagine they're opening new yes. stores. He's trying to manage all this. And he's kind of the guy. He has employees to deal with. Yeah, and although— And he, HR who's always calling him. Which you can imagine, the HR issues. Uh, Lots of employees. But Manny <laughs> is very driven. And what happens— when a man is very driven with his business. He works harder. And the marriage starts to fail. Uh, Jenny's going to have two kids with Manny. After her second kid, she gets an email one day. Camillo, just checking in. Oh, no. Hey, Jenny, how's it going? They haven't talked for years, but she's always had the same email. Okay. And Jenny's like, hey, Camillo, I'm good. How are you? And it starts off innocent enough. But the problem is Jenny does not feel love in her marriage. Well, I wonder if it has to do with the cultural whole Cuban thing. Cuban men are very much chismo men in the fact that they're known to provide, take care of the family, but they're not necessarily known to be nurturers, if you will. Yeah, remember that. That's going to be paramount in this entire story. Okay. Because there's a lot of Cubans involved in this storyline. Okay. So at the time, Jenny is not feeling love. She's not happy with her relationships. It's very cold. Mm -hmm. Jenny has developed a couple of hobbies. She likes to shop and she likes to spend money and she likes to shop. Sure. So okay. They have well, that's easy to do in Miami. Yes. Well, they have maids. The kids go to private school. They have private tutors. 
Everything is taken care of. Jenny does not go without. I imagine they have a house on the water. Yes. They start off in this big skyscraper in downtown Miami. Then they move down to Coral Gables. I don't know if you remember. Coral Gables is an amazing area. It is a beautiful, very high-end area. And then eventually they move from Coral Gables up to Lighthouse Point. I love Lighthouse Point. I've been through Lighthouse Point. You have a couple times. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that aren't aware, Lighthouse Point is... It's on the intercoastal in Florida. It's actually, it sets between, no, it's just north of Fort Lauderdale, I if I remember so, yeah. right. But it's all waterfront and it's waterfront and it's deep water. So what that means is I can have a hundred foot yacht that I tie up behind my house. Which is a very big yacht. Yeah. A hundred foot yacht. Is <laughs> you need a crew to manage that yacht. Correct. And they have a crew and they have a yacht and they have this beautiful mansion in Lighthouse Point. Jenny literally spends her days shopping. She just hangs out and shops. She doesn't work. And there's really nothing she doesn't have. They right. they are doing very, very well. Mm. Jenny's a lucky girl. Except she just doesn't feel loved. Mm. And as Camilio comes back in the scene, they kind of hit it off again. Okay. And where is Camilio on the financial status of things? Not there. <laughs> <laughs> He's the he's in Miami, but not the same. Now he he does fairly well. Um, he was a professional. I think he was a professional frisbee player That's on the a, beach. I don't know. It's a thing. I started reading it, and then I, I honestly I got bored, and I'm like, okay, I don't need to read about frisbee players. But <laughs> he does all right. His wife works full time, so he's not doing so well that his wife is sitting at home and learning how to shop. And what does Camilio do for a living? I don't know. Besides the handful frisbees. of things, it sounds like he's got his fingers in a lot of he's different. He's a jack things. of all trades. Yeah, he does. It sounds like kind of in the marketing realm too, but I, I don't know. I don't want to get too far into that. Okay. He and Jenny really spark a relationship though, and they get this pattern of they would meet at the Galleria in Fort Lauderdale, which is a mall off of Sunrise. Is that the one over by the the wine? Dinner place, Cooper's Hawk. Cooper's Hawk, yes. Cooper's okay. Hawk is in the front. We've been there a couple of times. It's kind of a janky mall. It is a janky mall. There's so many better places she could go. Well, I'm sure back in the day, this keep in mind, this is 2008, 2009, 2010. Okay. So it's probably a little bit more of a higher standard back then. It's okay. kind of run down now. But they would meet at the mall, and then after they hung out at the mall, they'd go around the corner to the Sun Tower Hotel, which sets right on the A1A on the beach. Oh, my gosh. I wasn't familiar with it. I'm familiar with a lot of hotels there. We've spent quite a bit of time in this area. So I was like, where's the sun tower? So I looked yeah. it up. It's like a Motel 6 on the beach. It's a by the hour motel. <laughs> it's not a by the saying. hour per se, but I ain't staying there anytime It's a no-tell motel. Yeah, exactly. Got it. I will say the flatbread and the onion rings on the menu looked pretty phenomenal. <laughs> but outside of that, it was kind of a little shitty dump. Well, and it is often hard to find good food in Fort Lauderdale because I feel like a lot of the restaurants there just get away with trapping tourists into their food. You get what you get. It's incredibly hard to find decent food in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> but maybe the Sun Tower had it, but the, the rooms look nasty. And I'm thinking, wow, you too? Like the sheets weren't changed before they went into the room. Well, maybe huh? they just had the same room each time. I don't know. Hmm. So... This relationship gets to such an extent, Jenny goes to a radio shack, now we are dating this case, and buys a burner phone. <gasps> and this burner phone is just for Camilio. It's just so her and Camilio can communicate, and she doesn't want Manny obviously finding out about this relationship. Right. We're going to fast forward a few years. February 2011. Everything is pretty much 
advanced to where her and Camilla are seeing each other weekly at this point. Manny's on to it. He knows something's up. Right. Any idea what he caught on to? No. I suspect that she's so involved in it at this point, it's probably hard not to catch little signs. Sure. So he finds out that they're going to meet at a bakery. And Ginny goes to this bakery this morning to meet Camillo. Mm-hmm. He's Camillo's not there when she first gets there. So she gets in line. It's a very busy bakery in South Florida. So she's waiting in line, waiting for Camillo to show up. And all of a sudden, she feels this very firm hand grab her elbow. And it startles her a little bit. And she turns around and she realizes it's Manny. <gasps> He's very stiff. She describes it in kind of a creepy way that she could tell he was really angry. Okay. But he had a smile. And he escorts her out of the coffee shop by the elbow into his car. He gets in the car, drives away, just screaming at her. He knows she's having an affair. So her car is already there because she was waiting for Camillo. So he puts her into his car and drives her away. Correct. Just screaming at her, takes her purse from her, finds her phone, starts going through her phone and her purse still screaming at her. They get a couple miles away from the coffee shop, and I think they're at like a four-way intersection, a stop sign, like in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She jumps out and runs with her purse. Okay. He has her phone, but the burner phone is is, with her. It's hidden in the purse. He didn't find the burner phone. So she immediately calls Camilio. Hey, he's here. He knows. Like, he knows what's going on. And Camilio's like, I know. (gasps) How did he know? When I pulled into the parking lot, he was waiting for me. He knew what car I was driving. He confronted me before I even parked. He was banging on my window telling me to get out of the car and act like a man. Mm-hmm. The gig's up. He knows. Okay. And what did Jenny say? Jenny said, he told me, if we don't stop, he's going to kill you. Does he have a history of violence? No. Is there any sign that There's Manny no is- criminal record at all. He's a businessman. He's a very successful entrepreneur who also does a lot with the community. He gives a lot of money to charities, children's programs. He's really big into the boxing and the mixed martial arts scene. Okay. So he donates a lot of monies to kids and programs bring coming up in these different programs. So is Manny a Cuban-American or did he come from Cuba? He came from Cuba. Okay. And then he became a citizen once he got here from Cuba. But the message is clear. Stop screwing around with my wife or I will kill you. Okay. Okay. And the message has been delivered. That's February of 2011. Okay. So fair warning has been issued now. I think it's safe to say that's a fair warning. Yes. (laughs) I would take that very seriously. Coming from a Cuban American who has a lot of money to spend. Right. That that takes it to a whole different level Mm -hmm. in my book. Jenny stops the relationship. Oh, good job, Jenny. For about a month. (laughs) She couldn't take it after 30 yeah, days. She got the itch 30 days into it and she's Girl's right got back. The itch. Yeah, okay. She, she's right back into things, unfortunately. So her mm-hmm. and Camilio are back up to their old games, meeting at the mall, going to the crappy hotel. Okay. I think we need to talk a little bit about how do you think Manny knew she was at that bakery? How did Manny know what Camilio drove? How did Manny know who to, Camilio is? He had to have been following them in some way. He's got a lot of money. What do you think? He hired somebody. He hired a PI. He probably hired a PI. And I am absolutely convinced that he hired a really good PI. I do believe there's lots of PIs in Florida generally. I've seen something about Mary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Such a good movie. Yeah. I sh- I'm sure there's just no doubt at this point. But the scary thing that I don't think Camilio or Ginny ever take a second to think about isn't the fact they got caught, but how did they get caught? What does he know that they don't know? Right. 
Which answers the next question. When Maybe they, she thinks that he's just been going through her phone or something. Why didn't but she has the burner phone and he doesn't know about the burner phone. Yeah, you're right. Why wouldn't they think? About and that? he knew what Camillo drove. And there's no evidence that she went and got a different burner afterwards. No, no, she didn't. She admits she didn't. Hmm. Manny has a book. He's got a whole folder file on Camillo, Camillo and it's not good. Right. Like he knows what's up. So as soon as they spark this relationship up again, what do you think happens? He's going to know immediately. He, he knows immediately. We're going to go forward to the end of May, Memorial Day weekend. Mm -hmm. They have a beautiful yacht, by the way. I think we've talked what about What kind this. of yacht do they have? It's an Azmut. Oh, these are really nice yachts. Yeah, Azmut. We actually have looked at Azmut. It's not that how, we're going to buy an Azmut. How big was the Azmut? From what I've seen in photos, I'm going to say 75 to 80 feet. It's good size. Well, Probably yeah. like three or four staterooms. It can definitely three. handle some chop. <laughs> a little bit of chop. Mm -hmm. So they plan a trip to the Bahamas for Memorial Day weekend in 2011, so the last weekend of May. Okay. Jenny and the kids, Manny, the captain, crew. Jenny's father is also going to go with them. Okay. Jenny's father will later report, it seemed like they were fighting the entire time, Manny and Jenny. Okay. They just weren't getting along. Mm -hmm. Jenny will later report that Manny confronts her again about her relationship with Camillo and that he knows they're back at it. He says something very interesting, and this is where that Cuban culture, you really have to define what this means. Okay. If you don't stop, you're going to cause a disgrace. And where some people might think that she's disgracing the family, mm -hmm. that's not what this means. She's going to cause Manny to do something that's going to cause disgrace. And how did we come to determine it wasn't disgrace towards the family, but simply because of the cultural nature of men having to be the fighters, the ones who take care of the family? Yes. And in the Cuban culture, more so that what she's going to force Manny to do is going to cause their family to fall out of grace, if you will. So her actions are going to cause Manny to do something that's going to bring disgrace to their family, mm. but it's her fault. And divorce isn't an option for being disgraced? A disgraceful divorce. I think... I'm going to frame this a little bit differently. I've been thinking about how to do this episode because <laughs> I'm kind of conflicted here a little bit. Manny loves her. Okay. He adores her. Okay. Manny's going to be villainized here in a little while. Manny does some pretty barbaric shit here in a little bit. Okay. And a lot of people have been really judgmental against that barbaric shit. Okay. I see a love story here. Divorce isn't an option because this is his thing. Her. He loves her more than anything. He is willing to forgive her. And just have his family back. And I've got to give a little bit of respect to that piece. So to Manny, no, divorce isn't an option hmm. because he doesn't want a different woman. He's very happy with his wife. He loves and adores his Maybe wife. Maybe he just doesn't want to go through another marriage. So he's just making her stick around. Why can't the man just love his, his wife? Well, I, I'm sure he can. But at the same time, if she doesn't want anything to do with him, if he loves her so much, let her go. Well, why doesn't she just leave? Well... She Be probably honest. is shopping for Louis Vuittons. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she, she probably enjoys her yacht time, I'm sure. She cannot afford this lifestyle without him. Right. So it's this really interesting dynamic where he just loves her and doesn't want to lose her. And she doesn't want to lose the cash cow. Uh, okay. And so this we, makes sense. we are where we are at this point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm kind of with Manny now. Yeah. I feel bad for Manny. I do. Now, <laughs> Manny's going to get a little crazy. He's going to get some Cuban crazy going here in a second. <laughs> This particular case has been covered by a lot of media. It's been on Court TV, Dateline's done a piece. I've seen a number of other clips. I also know there was some testimony about this. 
I'm going to stray a little bit from that narrative and I cannot cooperate. I'm letting everybody know right now. I can't go out and cooperate what I'm about to tell, but I remember this when I was working this investigation. I don't know what the source was. So I'm going to tell two sides. Everybody else says there was some weather that was happening between Bahamas and Florida on May 31st, June 1st, that caused their Memorial Day trip to run late. They weren't back as soon as they had initially planned. Is this when they were with their father? Yes, in the Bahamas. Or her father. Yeah, and I believe they were supposed to be back on the night of the 31st, early morning of the 1st. But they're running late. Now, in court, in court TV, on Dateline, everybody says it was because of weather. Okay. I don't remember that being a detail of this case. And it bothered me so much, I looked up the weather reports. Sure. The weather was no better on the 31st, the 1st, the 2nd, or the 30th. So the fact they came back on the 1st, the weather that was in the area is the same the entire time. Well, and typically whenever you go out on your boat there, you're checking the weather anyway to make sure wind is good and everything is safe while you're out. Right. The story that I remember is there's a stingray area that's really popular just outside of the Bahamas. Mm Mm-hmm. And the kids wanted to see the stingrays. And this is funny to me because as a parent who's done a lot of trips with kids, like you're just ready to go home and the kids are like, but dad, we want to do whatever it is. Uh So Manny's got some shit going on on the first. And we're going to get into all the things he has planned for the first. He's just trying to get home to manage his family. Okay. But he can't leave the Bahamas because of the goddamn stingrays. <laughs> These damn kids. <laughs> the, the kids Just have got toss to, them in the water. Yes, with them. the kids have got to see the stingrays. So he's running late. Okay. And that's going to be really important as we go through. So he doesn't get back to Lighthouse Point till around two thirty p.m. Okay. When they dock the boat, he tells Jenny, "I have an emergency at work. I've got to go." Jumps off the boat right into his car and leaves. He's gone. Hmm. But he had some quality family time. He had some quality family time. He is going to return to the house later that night, June 1st, late at night. He returns, takes a shower. He and Jenny do not talk. June 2nd, he wakes up, gets his passport, small bag worth of just personal items, and he leaves. Hmm. Never to return. Oh, where does he go? Nobody knows yet. He just leaves. Jenny doesn't know that he left, but discovers his passport's gone. Handful of personal items are gone. So she's a little bit confused and conflicted like what is going on she he completely ghosts her doesn't call her doesn't text her he's gone she calls out to camellia on her burner phone hey camellia what's up no answer Uh oh. so this first day turns into the second day no manny no camellia oh dear third day no manny no camellia oh she's starting to stress i'm going to say roughly four to five days later she gets to a point where she's thinking it's my opportunity. It's time for the divorce. But I do like shopping. I wonder where I stand if I get a divorce today. So she seeks out a divorce attorney. She's okay. going to sit down and meet with this divorce attorney. And she's being very transparent. She's going to tell the divorce attorney, hey, here's what's going on. Here's my life. Where do I stand? Like, am I just broken on the curb? What's What do I have to lose? What do I have to gain? Do I have to go back to my old marketing job? And of course, the divorce attorney smart attorney. And she starts asking questions. Well, hang on. Who is this lover? How long have you been with him? What do you mean you can't get a hold of him or your husband? Right. And they're talking. She's on one side of the com- desk in a computer. The divorce attorney's on the other, like looking at things as they're talking. And pretty soon the divorce attorney turns her screen around and shows Jenny a picture. Is this your lover? And it's Camillo. And Jenny's like, oh my God, yes. How do you, where did you find that? It's a missing person flyer. His family has reported him missing. You would think that Jenny would have caught on a little bit by this. 
Jenny might not be the sharpest tool in the shed on this this mm. piece. The divorce okay. attorney stops the entire conversation and says, look, you need to talk to the cops. All right. There's a lot going on here. Your lover has disappeared around the same time that your husband has disappeared. And that's usually not a good sign. Is it normal for divorce attorneys to get photos of missing people? <laughs> I don't think it is. And I do think it's probably one of those moments as your divorce attorney career where you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> yeah. this isn't good. I don't want this case. So what's going to happen is we're going to have three separate cases collide. And I've got to try to work this through for everybody. Case number one, we're going to go back to June 1st. Miami-Dade Sheriff's Department is working a drug interdiction task force. They're trying to interdict drugs that are being transported through Southern Florida. And they're working off of Okeechobee Road. And we've been to mm -hmm. Florida quite a bit. I don't know if you remember Okeechobee Road, but it's that road that leaves Miami kind of a northwest direction mm -hmm. right out into the Everglades. Like you're out in yes. the swamp, alligator land. Yeah, they have panthers out there too. They, they have actually fence put the big lines. fences up so the panthers don't eat you when you drive through there. Or get hit by cars as they jump over the fence. I like to think they're going to eat you. But yes, they're working this interdiction when one of these officers sees a big brush fire. Now you okay. have to consider, they're in the swamp. Yeah. When shit burns in the swamp, something's wrong. Right. It's very wet there. Yes. So he responds to it. And as he discovers this giant fire off this little side road, very quickly he observes, oh shit, that's a body. People are going to get upset with you from Florida if you call it the swamp. It's not a swamp. It's a swamp. It's the Everglades. Which is a swamp. It feels swampy. Because but it is swampy. They don't consider it a swamp. I think we should clarify. Okay. You know, I would love to have this conversation with you. Have you ever lived in Florida? Yes. Is it a safe statement to say you no longer live in Florida because you felt it was swampy? It was extremely humid. Too humid. Is swampy a good way to describe case. humid? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. It's a swamp. Okay. So he discovers this fire <laughs> and he immediately recognizes, oh shit, that's a body. That is a body burning in the fire. Not only is that a body burning in the fire, it appears that his hands are restrained behind his back and his feet are tied together. Oh, he's missing a giant chunk of his neck. How far off the road was the body? About 100 yards, 150 yards. There's this little dirt road that pulls off of Okeechobee. And about maybe, like I said, 100, 150 yards back is this big fire, and there's a body right in the middle of the fire. Okay. It, could he tell potentially how long the body had been burning? No. Was it Since the fire high started. flames coming from the yeah. body? Yeah. There, it's, the, it's fully engulfed in that area at this point. So fire department's got to come out, put out everything else so that they can find the body. So is it actually creating a fire around yes. a lot of the other Everglades area? From photos that I've seen, and I, I'm not going to put any of these photos in. These are gory photos. These ones are pretty bad. So okay. I'm not, I've chosen not to put them out there. Sure. I think a lot of people dump shit in this area. So there's a lot of other, there's like couches and just debris, just debris everywhere. And I think what happened is all these other things caught on fire in this little debris field off of this dirt road. Oh, I see. that helps. Yeah. So they, they package up the body essentially to take it to the medical examiners. Burnt beyond recognition. They have no idea who they're dealing with. So Just a crispy critter. Yeah. So this person goes to the medical examiner's office. So that's case number one, the unknown burnt body. Case number two, at the same time all this is going on, Daisy Holcomb, new mother. Well, she's, it's her second child, but she just gave birth three weeks earlier. Okay. June 1st, she's back to work three weeks after giving birth. And when she's working, and I think this is a pretty lax office environment, 
She's breastfeeding her three-week-old. Okay. Her husband shows up around 10 o'clock. Three-week-old or three-month-old? Three-week. Oh, She's okay. back to work after three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. So when I'm saying new mother, like she's she's her new. second child, but yeah. brand new baby. Husband shows up around 10 o'clock with the baby to breastfeed. And apparently this is a thing where the husband will bring the baby. The baby will stay with Daisy in the office for a few hours while she breastfeeds, puts her or him or down for a nap. Some bonding time. Yeah. And then husband will come back. Well, husband shows up at 10 o'clock, drops off the baby, forgets the pacifier, runs back down to the car, gets the pacifier, comes back up, gives the pacifier to Daisy, kisses her on the forehead, says he loves her, and that he will be back in a few hours to pick up the baby. Okay. He never comes back. It's Camilio. It's Camilio. He never shows up again. He was dropping off the baby for her to breastfeed so that he could go meet Jenny. No, Jenny's on the yacht. This is June 1st. Oh, This okay. is a normal thing. He's just doing his thing. He's being a good dad at this point. Now, granted, he's been banging Jenny on the side all through this pregnancy and now that the baby's born, but that's beside the point. On this particular day, he was just doing what his- he normally does. She files a missing persons report. They start searching different areas. Last place ever seen was at her work. They end up finding his car parked on the street just down from her work. And you know how Miami and and Fort Lauderdale is. It's really hard to park in certain areas. Yeah. It appears that he parked down the street and walked to her office. Okay. So they recover the car. So they have his car, but there's no idea where Camilla is. So he, that's the second case is we have burnt body identified and Camilla as a missing person. And then, of course, your third case here is Jenny's issues, where her husband is gone, her lover is gone. She goes to the divorce attorney who she shows can't get her a this flyer, yeah. and all of this is happening. And at the same time, the flyer that Jenny is shown by her divorce attorney makes its way to the Miami-Dade Medical Examiner's office, mm. where Crockett and Tubbs <gasps> are working a burnt body. Now... I've got to say, I watched... Do detectives in Florida really dress like this? Some of them, yes. It is very <laughs> dapper. I've, oh, we're going to take a minute here. <laughs> I've done quite awesome. a bit of work in uh, in Florida overall, and I've done quite a bit of work with Miami-Dade. I love this agency. They're just fun. Two of their detectives there, Doug and Chris, are their real names. I'm going to dub them Crockett and Tubbs because okay. they are just like Crockett and Tubbs. They are very <laughs> dapper. And of course, Miami Vice was from the 80s. So this was very nice attire in the 80s, even though it's yeah. very 80-ish. Uh, but yeah, they wear the suits every day. They're very well groomed. They're very polished. It's it's straight Crockett and Tubbs. Okay. So Crockett and Tubbs are at the medical examiner's office <laughs> investigating this unidentified burnt body. When this flyer comes in, they're putting two and two together saying, hey, we think this guy might be this guy. They start doing some different types of analysis. And sure enough, Camilio Salazar is the burned body that was recovered. Mm. So now we have a better idea of all of this. Did they contact Daisy right away? Did she have any info? Yeah, they contact Daisy. Daisy doesn't know anything about Camilio's extracurricular life. Nothing. She is completely in the dark. All she knows is she has a good, loving husband who was bringing their child to her to breastfeed and disappeared. He didn't come back for the baby. Didn't come back for the baby. That's Mm. all she knows. Now, at the same time, remember, divorce attorneys telling Jenny, you need to go to the cops. So imagine Crockett and Tubbs' enjoyment when Jenny shows up and says, hey, I know something about Camilio Salazar. And Jenny's going to start piecing together I've been having an affair with him for years now. My husband found out back in February. He's threatened to kill him. We just had an issue 
on May 31st where we got in an argument about this. By the way, on June 1st, my husband ran off because he had an emergency at work. And then I think he left the country and I haven't seen him since. Oh my gosh. So Crockett and Tubbs are smart enough to be like, okay. So could you imagine being Crockett and Tubbs and then having to go tell Daisy or ask her, hey, do you know this woman named Jenny? Right. Do you know your husband's been having an affair for years and that this could possibly be his demise? Right. There is a lot of victims in this case. I don't know that Camilio is one of them. And I will qualify that by the time we get to the end here. It's not uncommon. So Crockett and Tubbs. And the reason I'm going to say Crockett and Tubbs, you would think in a normal investigation, okay, fine. We have a husband who probably killed a lover and this case is simply going to unfold, mm-hmm. which it would anywhere else but Miami. Yeah. Welcome Miami. to Miami. Bienvenido a Miami. <laughs> say it again. <laughs> no, go. <laughs> Yes, Miami has a flare, and this case is going to get its flare starting here. So the first thing Crockett and Tubbs are going to do is they're going to start looking at phone records. Uh Who is communicating with Manny around this time? When they find who is communicating with Manny, who are they communicating with? And they find a flurry of activity on Mm. June 1st. Okay. Manny has a lot of missed calls because he's running late. He's out in the ocean. With stingrays. With stingrays. And And whining children. Right. And then when he gets back... There's all this communication kicking around. There's basically three phones. Mm-hmm. We don't know who owns these phones. We don't know who's attached to these phones yet, but we know there's a lot of communication. The first one, and I'm going to give it the nickname of Nasty Ear. Nasty so the ear. first phone is Nasty Ear. Nasty ear. And you'll see why okay. in a little bit. So Nasty Ear seems to be the phone he speaks with the most that day. And there's a lot of calls. When you look at the history the calls spike on this particular day with Nasty Ear. Okay. The second one, the nickname I'm going to give him is the promoter. And mm. the promoter doesn't really call Manny very often at all. Okay. But on this day, I think it was 52 phone calls. So there's a lot of signs of stress occurring in these records. Oh, God, you're so smart. Yes, that <laughs> is a good way to put it. Stress. 52 phone calls. It's like a Mandy calling. It is the Mandy on the Hartman case, 100%. (laughs) The third one is a little bit interesting. The third one doesn't communicate with Manny, but it's communicating with the other two phones while they're blowing Manny up. And we're going to call this phone, it's just a sad story. (laughs) And we'll get to why it's so just sad story. Okay. We have Manny, but we don't know where he's at, but he looks like He's done some nefarious things when it comes to Camilio, right? We have Nasty Ear. We don't know much about Nasty Ear. He's just a phone number at this point. Same with the promoter. Same with just a a sad story. We don't know where that's going. And this is where the cheesy movie plot is going to start. If you haven't seen Pain and Gain, which is a movie that chronicles some gym rats Uh from the 90s who uh, essentially kidnap and abduct this really rich guy and try to take all of his money. Then they kill this other couple. Uh, Mark Wahlberg and The Rock are the two main characters. And this happened in Miami Miami, based on a true story. This case has so many close aligning pieces with this uh, pain and gain movie that it it is pretty crazy. And I'm going to explain these as we go. Okay. So I'm going to give you a plot first. All right. And this is what... Crockett and Tubbs are looking at. We think Manny probably recruited a handful of people to kill Camilio. This abduction started because 10 o'clock, Manny's not in the country. He's on a yacht in the middle of the ocean. So at 10 o'clock when Camilio is dropping off the kid, they believe that's when he was probably kidnapped because his car is still there. Sure. Right. So 
who does Manny get to kidnap this guy? And then how does he get from there to Manny? Or did they kill him? Did Manny kill him? But there's a plot essentially of Manny probably hired some people and he's got the means. He's got the connections. Mm -hmm. Manny is a sucker for the mixed martial arts world. He loves boxing and mixed martial arts. He has sponsored a lot of fighters. He's helped a lot of fighters train. He employs them. So he's really big in that fight community in Southern Miami. Okay. Now, you're going to hire a crew to kill somebody. Uh-huh. What does that interview process look like, you think? Well, uh, I'd probably ask them what they dream about at night. <laughs> what do you dream about at night? What does that tell you? I need you to kill somebody for me. What do you mean? What does that tell me? Well, what they dream about at night. Yeah. There are things that I've dreamt about at night that I know who oh. I would hire or want with me. If we don't have time to get into that. that. But my point here is that we should get into a little bit about your background. If I'm going to hire you to kill somebody, I want to know, hey, what does your schedule look like? <laughs> Are you busy? Right? Do you have time? Yeah. I want to know, do you panic easily? Like if the plan starts to go south, mm-hmm. what is your reactions? Right. Hey, have you ever done some crazy shit that I should know about that might come back to haunt me? Mm. And probably the last, and to your point earlier, the most important question, are you down for killing somebody? Right. <laughs> that should be a prerequisite. So where did he meet all of these people? He, oh. These are just people that he has come into contact with because we they know. were immigrants? We or? don't know yet. That's where we're headed. Okay. Oh, look, there's so a picture for you. So let's start with nasty ear. I bet you can't decide why. That is a nasty ear. Yeah. That looks like a big popcorn ball coming out of his ear. It reminds me of those balloons that you make like the balloon animals out of. Mm-hmm. Number one uh, rule. If you see a guy who's got ears like that, don't fuck with him. No. That guy's got some mat time. He has been in a lot of fights. He looks like a, an angry person. He has a nice tie on, though. Yeah. It, he's a, a mixed martial art fighter. So that in the blue corner, hailing out of it. Cuba, Alexis the Exorcist, Vila Perdoma. I'm not making up that name, by the way. He's known oh. as the Exorcist. Wow. It's all about a name. He was born in Cuba in 1971. He spent his childhood in the streets of Cuba, street fighting. Becomes a wrestler at a very young age. He's a badass wrestler. He is a three-time world champion. In 1996, he went to the Olympics in Atlanta, got a bronze medal. He placed third in the Olympics. He's he's legit. He's wow. the real deal. Okay. In 1997, he's going to defect from Cuba as a Cuban citizen. I think he comes in through Puerto Rico uh, into Florida. Manny is the person who really makes this happen for him. Mm-hmm. Manny's very much into that scene, recognizes him as an up-and-coming fighter slash he's got a lot of potential. And sponsors him. Sponsors him more or less, helps him, really puts his feet on the ground in Florida, gives him a job, ultimately is going to get him a job at the University of Michigan where he's going to work with Rashad Evans and Gray Maynard. And to some people that may not mean much, uh, those were two pretty prolific fighters in the UFC. Okay. So very well known in the mixed martial arts world. The exorcist here is on his way. He's got things lined up pretty good. He's got a a rich friend who's helping him get into this business. Mm -hmm. He's meeting the right people. He's got a great job. He's on the path to maybe do something great. Right. 2004, the airport incident. Vila has an SUV at this time. So the exorcist is driving around Fort Lauderdale in an SUV. I don't know where I, why he ended up at the airport, but he ended up at the airport. And for some reason, he decides to drive his SUV through the first set of sliding doors, the second set of sliding doors, into the lobby, through the lobby, 
into the Southwest ticket counter, through the Southwest ticket counter, finally embedding his SUV in the wall behind the Southwest <laughs> ticket counter. Okay, wait a minute. At which point he jumps out and runs. Was he intoxicated or he just didn't like Southwest Airlines? He was not intoxicated or impaired. Now, as far as Southwest Airlines, find me anybody that does. And I've got to be honest. I have thought about driving my car through the Southwest <laughs> Airlines ticket booth more than once. Not only through the ticket booth, but all the way to the Yeah, tarmac. I want to take out a couple of their planes as well. So yeah. I don't blame him. And a few him. flight attendants. Yes, I do not blame him at all for maybe hating Southwest Airlines. Right. But a pretty weird thing. And this is 2004. So you got to remember, it's right after 9-11, a couple of years after 9-11. People are freaking out. They think it's a terrorist event. So why did he do it? Does anybody know? Because he's fucking crazy. In fact, they do a 72-hour psychological hold on him. He's not impaired. He can't explain why he did it. It's not an accident. It was very intentional. They're able to prove he's still smushing the gas. Uh-huh. So they end up charging him. Maybe his ear just hurt. <laughs> My ear hurts. <laughs> okay. Um, he's going to do three years in prison for this. Oh my So gosh. everything is going really well. And then he decides to take out the Southwest Airlines ticket booth and he goes to prison. Now, some mm. people would see this as a setback, not the exorcist. You know what you call three years in prison? Training. Training camp. Yeah. And he went to training. I am not making this next part up. Too good for a movie right here. Okay. He gets out of prison and immediately goes to his first fight, knocks the dude out in no time flat. He's about to go on an MMA terror. Over the next four years, mm -hmm. uh, he has nine big fights. These are big professional fights. These aren't he like, has zero fat on his body in that picture. Well, I think he 126, I want to say. No, he's ripped. For 126, yeah. he is stacked. Right. Uh, over that next four-year period, nine fights, nine and oh, six of them knockouts. Oh, my God. He's doing really well. And I had to get this picture because it actually says in the background there, you can see Alexis, the exorcist. The exorcist. Yeah. His next fight, he's making it big time. These were, they were professional fights, but they're in the lower wrong, if you will. Mm -hmm. His next fight that he has scheduled at this point is September 24th, 2011. It's Bellator, which is a, it's kind of comparable to UFC. Some people be like, it's nothing like the UFC. <laughs> it's something like the UFC. Uh, Bellator 51. This is his first big fight at the big time. And he's on the main card. This He's not an undercard fight. He's one of the main fights. For okay. That. So he's taking this very serious. So he goes to Las Vegas and he is in a training camp in Las Vegas around the time all of this is happening. May of 2011. When I say all this happening, Camillo being burned. Right. So he's getting punched in the face while Manny is watching Stingrays. Yeah. And it's confirmed. There is no doubt when Camillo is killed and burned, the exorcist is in Las Vegas. He okay. is training for this big fight. All right. However, you have to understand he is in debt to Manny Marin so many different ways. Right. Right. He helped him come to America. There's he helped a him sense get his of loyalty that he owes. When he was down and out, 2004, it wouldn't surprise me that it's Marin's SUV or Marin bought that SUV for him. Like he is indebted to Manny so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So that's our first character. And he's nasty ear. And I got this picture. It's hard to see because he's blurry, oh. but it's the best one I could find head on. He's looking through the cage in the octagon for the MMA fights. But it gave a really good front profile of those ears. That is terrible. And who is this one again? This is the exorcist. Nasty this is ear. him. Oh, yeah. his eyes don't look like him. He has nasty ears. Yeah, it's like balloon puppets. I'm telling you, that looks like a piece of popcorn, like <laughs> caramel corn on his ear. All right, let's move on. 
the next the next character introducing in the red corner Roberto the Latin King Isaac. He's just a shithead. Like I would love to go on about all of his history, kind of like I just did with the Exorcist there, but he's uh-huh. just a punk. He's pretty much known as a local thug. He's a promoter. He hangs out a, a lot of these less well-known gyms, and he organizes and promotes a lot of very minor fights in the Miami area. But he has gang ties to the Latin Kings, so he gets a certain amount of respect because of his gang affiliation. Because of who he knows. He organized some fights for Alexis back in the days of the Exorcist, and that's how they know each other. He's in and around that scene, but I've got to be honest, I've looked at a ton of stuff with Roberto. He's just a thug. Okay. He's an old guy, too. He is an old, fat thug. Like, he's not... Would you consider him intimidating? No. He looks like one of those guys who would walk around Miami just hanging around at barbershops and talking to other old guys. With, like, only the bottom three buttons of his shirt buttoned. Yeah. And white linen pants. <laughs> yeah. Wearing his flip-flops. Uh-huh. With a Cuban cigar. Actually, it's mouth. not flip-flops. It's those Adidas sandals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Adidas sandals. Yeah, that's sure. kind of what he looks like. Yeah. So here's your problem. If you're Manny, and remember, this is your dream team. You have the exorcist who can probably handle himself. Somehow you come across this guy. What are you missing on the ground in Miami? I don't know what. You need muscle. Miami muscle. Oh. So Isaac's a thug, but he's not intimidating. I was going to say brains. I was thinking, but. Oh, no. They never take the time to consider the fact that they need brains in this operation. And that's (laughs) going to come. It's going to be very, very clear here in a little bit. See, that's good for you, though. Like, yes, you recognize somebody needs to know what the hell they're doing. That They skip that step. This is a sad story. This is the third person. He is what I'm going to call the Miami muscle. His name is Ariel the Panther Gandula, also a UFC fighter. He is really ripped. How much does he weigh? What weight class does he fight in? I want to say, I know it's an oxymoron. I believe there's like a light heavyweight class. I want to say he's somewhere in between like 189 and 200, roughly. And he has an okay, he fights professionally for a while. He's a good lower class fighter, Mm -hmm. but when he gets in the big time, he doesn't do so well. Well, you can tell because his ears look normal. Right, right. He doesn't have the same time. Right. I got to tell you some background on Gandula. And I got to be honest, I think Gandula is one of our biggest victims in this case. So I actually, I feel bad for this guy. He was born in Cuba as well. He left Cuba in 1994. And I have to frame this. They took an old Volkswagen bug. They cut the bottom of it off. They flipped it upside down with a tarp wrapped around it and they put it in the ocean. And he floated to the United States. He rode with a paddle in an upside down Volkswagen bug using a tarp to keep the water from coming in. He and like five or six of his buddies, it's like 90 miles. They rode to America. They're about three miles off the coast. Coast Guard sees them, intercepts, and basically takes all of them. Gandula has appendicitis. He's about to die. Oh my gosh. So he goes to a hospital in Miami. Mm -hmm. The other guys back to Cuba. It's the only thing that allowed him to stay in the United States is his medical condition. Hmm. So he's in the hospital with appendicitis. They take his appendix out and then he's basically released from the hospital, but now he's on U.S. soil. Right. Where all of his buddies got sent back. Really sad turn here. About a month or two later, his wife and child attempt the same crossing. How did they attempt it? Do we know? In a raft. Oh no. They both drowned. So his wife and child died. He Do you went, know how old his child was? I want to say between five and seven based on... How old was, it, was Gandula when he made the crossing? I'd say in his mid to late 20s. Mid 20s. He's pretty young. Wow. 
So his wife and child died. This devastates him. Like he goes into a pretty crazy depression for a while. This is where he gets into fighting and he will credit his fighting and his MMA stuff to bringing him out of that depression, that black hole that he found himself in. And he's an okay fighter. He's never going to make the big time, but I think life was rough on him. Yeah. Uh, I've got a couple pictures here. The one on the left is like probably in his prime is in, that in the ring. A- booking photo the one on the right it's one later on yeah when we get to the the time of this case and he's that photo on the right i believe is when he's getting ready to leave canada and we'll talk about that later on but you can just see the years have been rough on him yeah he looks really sad there i think he's got a lot of reasons to be sad and we're we're gonna get into this more as we go so we're at a point here where crockett and tubbs have identified these three goons if you will Mm -hmm. as Okay, these three are probably involved. Looking at the phone records, looking at Manny, they're all involved. Now, they don't have location information. I need to explain this a little bit because this is going to get to be really technical as we get to the end of this case. Law enforcement can get phone records, who you're calling, who's calling you, without the same level of probable cause that it requires to get location. It's when you get location information that the courts are very, very Or content. Yes. So they know that there's these phone calls. They don't know what's being talked about and they don't know where anybody's at. So they do these interviews and all three of them are basically going to give law enforcement the Heisman and be like, yeah, we, I don't know what you're talking about. We're all friends. We know each other, but it's a normal day. We love calling each other. Yeah. We're BFFs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Manny was telling us about the stingrays. Yeah. So they just didn't have enough to go off of anything. Okay, we need to go back here just a little bit too. Crockett and Tubbs do a very thorough crime scene processing of Camilio's car. Because remember, they see they find the car just down the street and they mm-hmm. seize the car. From Daisy's work. Correct. There's a fingerprint on a door, on the outside of a door. Okay. They run that fingerprint, doesn't come back to anybody. It's not in the system. So okay. we don't know whose fingerprint it is. Mm-hmm. They do all of the interviewing. They feel like these guys are connected, but there's just ugh, nothing to tie it together. This is about to become a cold case. But Crockett and Tubbs, they're no dummies. Not your average bears, right? They know how to do homicide investigations. And I, I really have to give it to these guys. I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with them now working on a handful of different cases. And I love their creativity. I love their tenacity because they're just in it. And that's why I'm calling this Miami Vice. If you're not aware or familiar of the Miami Vice sitcom back in the 80s and 90s, you've got to go watch this. Just YouTube it. Most of them are on there. But super tenacious detectives just out there yeah. fighting the good fight, right? Right. So our Crockett and Tubbs in this one are smart enough to understand we ran that fingerprint We didn't get any hits in the system. It's been several months now. We've furthered this investigation. Let's go run the fingerprint again. What a lot of people probably don't realize is that when I run a fingerprint in the system, it's only checking for matches at that time. So over that course of three months, there could have been another hit for the fingerprint. Right. But the fingerprint doesn't stay in the system. I have to rerun the fingerprint again. You don't get a notification that somebody ran the fingerprint that you ran a couple of months ago. Correct. And a lot of detectives don't realize this. If you run a set of fingerprints and they don't hit, rerun them six months later, rerun them every three months, Mm -hmm. do whatever, but keep hitting the system. Croc and Tubbs, like I said, are smart enough to do just this and they rerun this fingerprint. And this time they're going to get a hit. And it comes back to the Panther, Gandula. This is the break that they need. At this point, they realize, okay, we've got the right guy. Gandula has no reason to be touching Camilio's car. We're on the right track. 
they are going to use this information to justify the probable cause to go back on the phones, and now they're going to get cell tower information. So now not only are they seeing who's talking, they can see where people are at when they're talking. Sure. They also want to obviously go interview Gandula. When they look at the phone records, they find out Marin and Isaac, the thug, are in the area of the burnt body just before the fires reported. Mm-hmm. It's it's general. They can't say they're at the fire scene, but they're in the general area of that. Isaac the thug and the panther Gandula are in the area of where Camillo was abducted that morning. So now they're like, okay, we've got the right people. Sure. Yeah. So they go to get ready to interview Gandula. Gandula has moved. He now lives in Canada. Oh, this is why you mentioned that picture was probably when he got back from Canada. Got back from Canada. Okay. Now, there's some unique things on legal issues that we have to explain here just a little bit because we have one more character that's about to be introduced into our B-rate movie here. Okay. And I need to explain why this person is so important. Because of the nature of this case, it is a potential death penalty case. Okay. Canada does not extradite on death penalty cases. So even if the United States signs a form that says we will never charge this person in a manner that will qualify them to be death penalty, Canada doesn't care. They don't play death penalty. If you are facing a potential death penalty sentence in the United States, you can run to Canada and they will not extradite you out of there. Do you think that we should be telling people this? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Because maybe it needs to be exposed so people are like, well, that's really screwed up. Why don't we change the laws in different places? Right. So that's the first piece is there's some legal issues. But what I really want to express here is two detectives can get on a plane and fly to Canada. But when they land, they have no authority. They're in a different country. Mm -hmm. They can't make legal decisions on this case at all. So they need a prosecutor. The problem is, and I've worked with hundreds of prosecutors over the years, getting a prosecutor that's going to jump on a plane and fly with two detectives to Canada to interview a potential suspect. Not likely. Not likely. And I'm sure there's a lot of the would say, oh, I would do that. No, they won't. I can tell you from experience, they won't. So they need a prosecutor, but they need an aggressive prosecutor. In our last character of this movie, Gail Levine. Gail Levine is the original prosecutor on the case, Pain and Gain, that Mark Wahlberg and The Rock did. Okay. She's an amazing prosecutor. She is an absolute bulldog in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. She just does not. She's a dog with a bone. She does not give up. And there are certain things that I learned about Gail on this case that I absolutely love this lady. More prosecutors need to be like Gail. She's a real go-getter. She's a real (laughs) go-getter. And it's interesting. I actually met Gail. I was uh, guest speaking. I was presenting at a big conference in Las Vegas. Uh And I got there early and Gail was the presentation before mine. So I'm sitting in the back of the room and she's presenting the case, Pain and Gain, with Mark Wahlberg. I remember this. And I'm watching. I'm like, okay, that's actually a really cool case. And she sat through your presentation. So she stayed and she sat through my phone presentation. Later that night, she she found me at the bar of all places. I know it's weird. I'd be hanging out the bar. But she found (laughs) me at the bar and she's like, I have a case that we have phones. I need your help. Like, come work with us. And it was this particular case. The best compliment that I can give Gail Levine is that if she ever indicted me, mm-hmm. you would never find me. I'm running and I'm running far and fast. She's she's pretty aggressive with how she prosecutes. Yeah. And we're going to get into some statements that she says in this case. Ooh, I do not want Gail Levine after me. Yeah. You don't want to be on her bad side. So the stage is set. The fight card, if you will, is set here so to speak. We have a tag team match that's coming up. In the red corner, we've got Manny, the supermarket mogul, Uh who has put together his hit team, if you will, the Exorcist, the Thug, and the Panther. Uh 
And then out of the blue corner, we've got Crockett and Tubbs, but now we also have the Bulldog. <laughs> and this story is going to get absolutely insane. So I hate to break it to everybody, but you got to tune in next week to see how this tag team plays out. <laughs> I will say that with one caveat. You guys can go on the internet. This case is pretty well known. It's out there. There's a lot of media about this. Dateline has done it. And a lot of you can fast forward and be like, oh, I'm just going to get to the end and watch the Dateline episode. What none of these other episodes and what's out there publicly covers is how we made the connection with these three. Here's what's going to be really unique. Through phones. Through the phones. But what I'm going to get into here is that we have one person who's in Las Vegas. How can you be involved in a crime when you're in Las Vegas? Mm-hmm. We have another, the Panther, who we know is not at the crime scene. He did not kill the victim in this case. Sure. But being able to tell the story of exactly how this is going to play out and how the phones are used, we're actually going to show the presentation that we used in court to tie all this together and really tell the whole story. And it was a really long presentation from what I recall. It's probably one of the longest presentations I've ever done. I want to say I was like 250, maybe 270 slides. Well, I think the complexities of helping a jury understand the technology of a cellular investigation was one of the key things that you had to do in this yeah, case. It was very, very complex and breaking that down to a level that anybody could understand it. So that's what part two is going to be. There is so much more to this story still. Looking forward to it. So tune in next week for, for part, part two, two of The Real Miami Vice. Miami Vice.